We're back. Just like the sun on the east coast of the United States, we're back for week four, tackling the Premier League podcast with your host, Jack Sosa17. And with me, we have BJ the Germ Jackson and J Soup the Boob Super. Beautiful weekend, this guy's. How are we doing? Oh, we're good over here. Doing great. Hope everyone else is doing good. Ready to talk about week four here. Heck yeah, heck yeah, absolutely. And before we get into the soccer action, we just want to say a big thank you to all the listeners that we've had. If this is your first episode, welcome. Hope you enjoy. If this is not your first episode, thank you so much for returning. Press that follow button. Give us a five-star rating if you like the show. Send it to your friends. Get us out there. We'd love to reach a larger audience, and we'd love to become a weekly part of your lives. Starting with uh, our first Saturday game, Manchester United back in action after their first win of the season against Liverpool last week. They took on Southampton at St. Mary's. Final score, 1-0, but an overall great game with a lot of different talking points, and we'll get to those. The first coming before the game, Eric Ten Hag issues a statement to Harry Maguire. Just because you're the captain doesn't mean you're guaranteed to start. You think that'll light a fire under him, guys? For as much as they paid for him, you hope so. Seriously, if you're a Man United fan, you hope so. You you want him to do good. You may know how much they paid for him, how much they pay him now on wages. He is their captain of their club. It'll be a lot to drop him from being captain. So yeah, you hope he does good. And to piggyback off that, I don't. Uh, you're a Manchester United fan. You want him to do good, but also if you're an England fan, you want him to do good because if. Manchester United sticks with this Varane and Lissandro Martinez pairing up until the World Cup. Does Harry Maguire make the England team? I mean, what what does Gareth Southgate do there? That's a good question. England's deep at every position this year. I I would think the favorite to win it. So, yeah, if he doesn't get playing time, he might just lose his starting spot in that lineup. Yeah, he might. And he's he's lost it in this Manchester United lineup. Eric Ten Hag electing to go with the exact same team that he started last weekend against Liverpool. The only difference, uh, Alenga on the right and Sancho on the left. One noticeable thing, just as soon as the broadcast flipped to St. Mary's, the grass looked awful, guys. Yeah, one of the worst Premier League pitches that we've seen in the past year or two, for sure. Southampton coming out with a statement uh, saying there was a disease running through the grass causing these problems. Poor groundskeepers, Gary. They got their work cut out for them, and so does uh, Ralph Hasselhutten as the Southampton team were put under immense amount of pressures by this Manchester United team, but we'll get to that. Starting off, first half, looked like a fair back-to-back end-to-end game. You know, there was at one point in the game, Southampton keeper and defenders had five straight saves really early on. And it, it really was one of those situations where you look at United and say, how do you not score there? Yeah, it was a complete FIFA moment. The ball just kept bouncing around, going back towards goal, and they just wasn't able to put it in. Absolutely. And, and one, one thing to be noted here, Southampton really have recruited decently well for uh, a team that, you know, were not great last season, but mid-table last season. Um, they've, you know, Janepo and Salisu were added last season, but this catch-up guy, uh, Aribo, Lavia, and then the subs they brought on in uh, Mara and 
Lyanko were both brilliant players for them in this game. Obviously, couldn't get the job done in the end as it ended one 0 but uh, decent players. What do we uh, What do we think about Southampton's recruitment there? I mean, I really like the uh, catch up guy, uh, the center back. He's a really good young center back, very promising. So I like that signing for sure. And then also the Lavi uh, center defensive mid from Man City. He's also very young as well and has a bright future, I think. So two very good recruitments there from Southampton and very bright futures. Yeah, I think they brought in four guys under 20. And I want to say that both of those are under 20. I know Lavi is. And they have played very well for Southampton to start this year. No complaints there. Yeah, so we'll get to the goal. Uh, first half, you know, other than that one FIFA moment where Southampton's keeper and defenders had five straight saves, United uh, weren't able to break through. But uh, they finally did break through. That breakthrough coming in the 55 minute by way of Bruno Fernandez, assisted by Diego Dallo. This goal was interesting because Alenga dropped deep into almost the right back position to receive the ball and start the move. And Dallo went into the channel and then came out wide. Or it was almost like Southampton defenders forgot about Dallo and were focusing on why Alenga was so deep. A couple passes, the ball out to Dallo, and Dallo a brilliant ball across the box to Bruno Fernandez, who puts one home. What do we think of that goal? Well, that's part of the reason why Dallo's in that lineup. Like we've said on previous podcasts, he puts the ball in pretty well. He gets it in a good bit of times, too. So he'll eventually find somebody on the end of it. Yeah, Justin did uh, pretty well stating it right there. He puts in a bunch of crosses. He's not afraid to continue to put in crosses if his first couple aren't good. So if people continue to get in the box, he's going to eventually find them, and that's what happened with Bruno Fernandez. Yeah, one-time volley put it right into the side netting. It was or the side of the goal, I should say. It was a beautiful, beautiful strike from Bruno Fernandez. Caught it cleanly. Not the best volley of the weekend, but we'll get to the best volley of the weekend coming up. Needed to be shouted. Manchester United won up. St. Mary's got a little quiet, and the you could hear the away and chanting. I think it was interesting. If, if I heard correctly, they were screaming, uh, we want Glazers out, Glazers being the owner of Manchester United. What do we think about the Manchester United fans up 1-0 away from home chanting they want their owners out, Justin? Well, they've been wanting him out for a while now. They're given the financial backing, though, as we've seen today, where they just agreed a 100 million euro move for Anthony. So they're getting the financial backing. It's hard to push them out like this, you know? But, Absolutely. What say you, Jerm? Yeah, I mean, I really am not sure what they're trying to say Glazers out for now. Like Justin said, they're getting the financial backing they've been crying for. They just got Casemiro in, $70 million. Now Anthony for $100 million. They're going after players, so not sure what you can be complaining about here. You got to just roll with the season, see how it goes, and hope for the best. Yeah, it looked, it looked like the Manchester United fans weren't happy with their owners, but you're right, the, the financial backing has been one of the best in the league so far uh, with the new signing of Anthony, uh, Casemiro, Lissandro Martinez, and Malcia, and the free agent signing of Christian Eriksen. However, that didn't cost them a lot of money. They still had the the want and the go-to to go get a player, so that's a shout there. Uh, moving forward, Southampton really started to get on top of Manchester United after Manchester United scored a goal. They started to sit back a little bit and protect their lead and, and try to try to get out of St. Mary's with a 1-0 one nil, one nil win. We'll have, to, we'll have to say there was a shout for a penalty, a handball against McTominay. Ball came off of a Southampton's player's head 
directly onto McTominay's arm. It didn't hit off the Southampton player's shoulder, back to McTominay's elbow, and then onto the ground. Referee was having none of it on the field. VAR checked it, deemed it no handball. Obviously, the new ruling is saying if, if it's deflected off of a player and uh, the offender doesn't have a chance to make a move or, or has no reaction to it, we're going to let that slide. We're going to let them get away with it as long as the arm is in a natural position. What do we think of that penalty show? Should have been a pin if Luca Dean was called for a pin the other week. I think this is we've been calling the consistency of VAR, just praising it. I don't think they were that strong this week overall. I mean, really, I, I, VAR, yeah. I mean, you can say they were iffy this week, but I mean, I like the call of no handball here. Just, I mean, it's just no time to really react with the deflection there. So, I mean, I, I'm okay with the no handball. Yeah, it just goes against the consistency though that we've been calling for as fans especially like i said if that luca dina was a penalty then this one should have been if we're going based off consistency yeah you can you can make the argument that mctominay's arm was not in a natural position and then you can also make the argument that the deflection was so close there was no time to react definitely a sticky situation for var to be in but referees ruled it no handball and we move on towards the end of the game Eric Ten Hag elected to bring on Casemiro for his Premier League debut. Uh, he got out on the field and uh, really, really started to shore up things. But it did not stop uh, Southampton's constant attacking of Manchester United box, which which really brought out some incredible saves from David De Gea. Yeah, it's really like Southampton has to go down a goal or two to really start attacking. This would have been their third game in a row where they fought back and got a point from it so they just need to start going after it earlier i guess say exactly what justin just said there it kind of takes him a goal get a goal behind to really start getting something in the game but yeah it brought out some really good saves in De Gea there at the end like i said earlier southampton brought on uh their young new striker mara and, and he he had a couple chances including an overhead kick and a back post header that both could have really been Goals, but uh, great defending by Manchester United and a couple good saves from David De Gea, and they and they kept it one uh, 0 and it was a United, uh, Manchester United win at the end of the day. Yeah, they really needed the clean sheet here because this was their first clean sheet in their last fourteen away games. So really wow. needed the clean sheet there. Yeah, really big for them to keep the clean sheet and also get two wins in a row. That's nice for Man United here. Kind of expected it, though, so nice momentum for him. Absolutely. Yep. Two, two wins on the bounce after being 20th two weeks ago. It's a good turnaround for Eric Ten Hogsman, and uh, I'm sure the Glazers will be a little bit more relieved. There will be a lot less pressure on them uh, moving forward, but I, I don't think the chance of Glazers out will stop. Uh, we'll move on to the really, I guess, the game of the weekend if you're into high-scoring games. <laughs> Liverpool hosted Bournemouth at Anfield. And um, Liverpool fans saying, you'll never walk alone. But Bournemouth sure did walk alone today. Uh, 9-0 was the final score there. It started with a Luis Diaz header uh, to go up 1-0. And the onslaught just continued from there. They scored inside of three minutes. You know, I'll just run through it. Luis Diaz, third minute. Harvey Elliott with a brilliant strike in the sixth minute. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, another rocket from outside of the box in the 28th minute. Three minutes later, Bobby Firmino with a header, his first goal uh, back at Anfield in over a year. And then two right before halftime, uh, Virgil van Dijk, a header off a corner, and then Chris Mepham, uh, an own goal. 
had Liverpool up 5-0 at half. And yeah, goodness gracious, that's about all you can say about this game. Absolute domination by Liverpool when 9 nothing, Insane. Yeah, really the big talking point here is the rocket from Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's kind of what you expect out of him, though, but I think he was uh, basking in a little bit too much with the celebration. He, his uh, defending's not where you want it right now for um, Liverpool in the Premier League, so he needs to step that up. Yeah, you expect the goals out of him, though. Not to focus on any individual player, we'll go out into the second half, and Liverpool were chasing a Premier League record. Obviously, the record at the moment is 9-0. They tied that record. 62nd minute, Roberto Firmino, another goal, gives him his brace. Luis Diaz, another header. That's two headers for Luis Diaz in the same game. Not not someone that you would look at and say, this guy's a good header of the ball, but he surely showed it today. And then uh, Fabio Carvalho, the new guy, rounds out the scoring for Liverpool. 9 nothing the final score. Just some statistics to throw on you guys. 69% possession for Liverpool. Nice. 12 shots on target to Bournemouth's two. And really just double the passes. You know, eight corners to Bournemouth's one. Just really a really a total domination from, from Liverpool here. Yeah, almost yeah. the exact same. Uh, double the touches, everything. Kind of, yeah. yeah, like you said, just total domination. Moving on from a nine-goal game, we'll move to a uh, six-goal game that also happened at the same time. Manchester City 4, Crystal Palace 2, this game played at the Etihad. Start with a fourth-minute John Stone's own goal. Ball crossed in, uh, went through a couple players, just came off John Stone's knee and into the goal. Ederson couldn't make a save, and Crystal Palace were up 1-0 four minutes into the game, and it only took... 17 more minutes for uh, Crystal Palace to double their lead off of a Joaquin Anderson corner. Puts them up 2-0 inside of 20 minutes. As a City fan, Justin, what's going through your mind there? Uh, I'm ready to turn the game. (laughs) Yeah, what did you think of that goal, BJ? Uh, I think the Anderson goal is really well uh, taken. Great header by him. Um, He's been playing really, really good right now. The whole season, the pass is out of the back. Um, really good on the long balls. Uh, this tackling has been really fantastic this year. So he's been playing really, really good. Really happy to see him get a goal right now in this uh, early start of the season, build up on that confidence. And to add on to that, it was just a free header. So Pep going into half, calling the team soft. It was exactly what they should have been called. It was just poor performance all the way around. Yeah. Pep must have gave him a great talking to at halftime, man, because they came out and, boy, did they turn it around yeah we know how we know how electrifying pep can be and and he must have put on a display in that halftime locker room uh needed to be noted before halftime a little bit of controversy here uh ball comes into joking anderson who goes to head it away and is met with the boot of erling holland a high boot called a foul on the field crystal palace given the ball and nothing more is this dangerous play guys I could see a yellow, but that's it. Definitely not a red. His studs are showing, and that that's the one worry for me. And his, his foot is super high up on Joaquin Anderson's face. I just, you know, when a ball's in the air, if you go with it with your head, you have the expectation that no one's going to kick you in the face. But, uh, you know, the, the VAR had a look, I believe, and the referee on the field also deemed it no card at all. Um, just a free kick and, and move forward. I thought that that definitely should have been noted because there's there's been a uh, 
There's been a lot said about it on social media recently about how City may have gotten away with one there. But uh, nonetheless, halftime, Pep's, Pep's talk, and it didn't take long for a 53rd-minute deflected shot from Bernardo Silva to get to draw one back for City. Yeah, and that took City off right there, and they brought it on uh, Chris Piles after that. They really needed one goal to get back in it, and once they got that one goal, I really – expected what that happened next man city just total domination yeah i think after we scored that goal i want to say that was like an 18 percent chance of winning it. and I, I told the dogs i said now this is where you bet the house on uh city to come back and win it if those dogs could talk i tell you <laughs> they'd say yeah. a lot moving forward nine minutes later an erling holland goal draws city level just a header on the six-yard box makes it two goals. Uh, what do we think about that goal? I mean, that's why you buy a big, tall number nine, right? So you can swing crosses in and just have headers. Yeah, nicely lifted ball by Foden. Um, it was flicked on by uh, Alvarez before that, and he played well. But talking about the goal, finally, Phil Foden and Highland link up. Good goal. Absolutely. Yeah, really, really powerful header from um, Highland right there. Like I said, that's why you buy a big tall number nine, and it didn't stop there. After a couple good passes, uh, John Stones on the six-yard line passes it to the opposite side of the goal, and Erling Holland's there for a three-yard tap-in. Keeper can do nothing about it. Yep, like you said earlier, that's why you buy number nine of his quality. He finds himself in the right place at the right time, so props to him. Yeah, but are we sure that was a pass, or you think that was a shot first? Well, I, I hope it was a pass for John Stone's stake, but, you know. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, obviously you hope it's a pass for John Stone's <laughs> stake, but anyways, it comes back to Holland being a great number nine in the right place at the right time. Doesn't matter if it's a strike or, I mean, a, a strike or a pass. So, yeah. He, he's going to be there. Yeah. And it, it didn't uh, it didn't stop there. As, as, you know, just, just a, a striker's goal. Um, I believe it was uh, – Yokai Gundogan on the ball, carrying it forward. And you could see, I mean, it was written in the stars what was about to happen. Erling Holland in between the two center backs, arms stretched out like you got green grass, play it right here to me, takes it in stride, puts it right up underneath the keeper's legs. And 4-2 was your uh, final score there. Yeah, on that one, he called for it like three or four times before Gundogan played it to him. And then a uh, great display of the strength he provides holding off the defender as the ball was coming to him. Absolutely. I mean, that that that's a striker's goal right there. You can't deny that at all. Holland with almost a perfect hat trick, uh, just two left-footed uh, goals instead of a left and a right, but almost a perfect hat trick. City, in City fashion, dominate possession with 80% of the ball. They were 25 passes away from triple the amount of passes Crystal Palace had, which is not surprising because Crystal Palace are known to like to play on the counter and really relish in set pieces. But, man, did City really show their feathers in this one. They they were not, not playing it around. 27 clearances from Crystal Palace in this game. Uh, what a stat that is. And... Uh, Man City earned their first victory against Crystal Palace since May 1st of 2021. I'm glad it came. Kryptonite no more. From a nine-goal game to a six-goal game to a three-goal game. Chelsea Lester at Stanford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea back on home turf. And uh, I guess, you know, 
we really just have to start with with uh, the fact that Thomas Tuchel was in the stands for this one, not on the pitch, uh, serving a one-game suspension from his antics uh, in the London Derby between Spurs and Chelsea, uh, he and Antonio Conte getting into it. Funny, Conte was allowed to be on the pitch for their game against Nottingham Forest, we'll get to, but Tuchel's the one suspended to the stands. What, are, what do we think about the FA's decision there? I think it should have been last week, right after the previous red card but he definitely deserved his one game suspension yeah he uh Tuchel definitely deserved it but so does Conte so pretty surprised that he didn't have to serve anything yeah I, I thought that uh they would both definitely serve a suspension at some point the Premier League coming out and saying that they the reason Tuchel was suspended for this one and not last one uh was due to uh the Premier League sending their decision to an independent regulator to determine whether it was fair or not. Uh, independent regulator determined it was fair. Uh, that took a week, and uh, I guess it, it didn't help Chelsea at all to have Tuchel on the sideline last week, so they didn't gain an advantage from this. But anyways, we'll move forward from that. To start this game off, I mean, it was a great attempt in the fifth minute by Loftus-Cheek. Uh, great save by Ward to stop that shot. I really thought Loftus-Cheek was going to slot it home, but Ward was there. Fifth minute. Great start. Absolutely, and it was a brilliant ball by Raheem Sterling to put him across. I thought he was looking for Havertz, but Havertz and the defender both let it go, and there was Ruben Loftus-Cheek right there wide open. Brilliant save from the keeper. He's uh, he's shown that maybe Lester don't need Michael, huh? Yeah, really thought that at the beginning of the game. Yeah, he's definitely come on after his week one or two error. But talking about Loftus-Cheek, he played well all game getting forward in that role. I think yeah. he's really submitting himself in this Chelsea squad for that spot. Yeah, I agree with you, Justin, on that one. And it's kind of an obscure position for him as well because you would you would expect him to be a center defensive mid or, or a box-to-box midfielder, but here he is as a almost a right wing back or a right midfielder in Chelsea's formation, and he's getting forward well and, and making things happen. Uh, just a, a finish there, and Chelsea would have been cruising at that point. Um, we'll move forward from there. Uh, uh, Connor Gallagher makes... Uh, a daunting tackle on uh, Drewsby Hall around the midway line and sees himself get a yellow card, head head in hands, disappointed in it. Uh, almost two or three seconds later, another attempted foul on Drewsby Hall, but the ball went out of bounds, so he didn't have to. Uh, he didn't. He didn't see a yellow for that one. Uh, but it didn't take long, did it, for him to see his second yellow card and uh, Chelsea down to ten men within within twenty eight minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, yep. Gallagher, that first car, I mean, the first one, 21st minute, clear yellow with that one, can't argue against it. And then six minutes later in the 27th minute, just another clear card. I mean, stupid foul there. You know you aren't a yellow. you got to be smarter by Gallagher. Ref has to give him a second yellow when he's off by the 27th minute, two yellows in six minutes. Yeah, and talking about what you said, Jack, uh, right after the free kick off his first yellow, he picked it up. Or he fouled, or yeah, he fouled Kier and Dewsbury Hall, but it went out of bounds, and it really kind of foreshadowed that he was going to get a second one in this game. Absolutely, and I think you know I, I don't think you can blame him for the second tackle because it had to be made. I mean, uh, corner kick, ball gets cleared back to Kukurea. Kukurea puts in another cross. The ball's headed out, and Harvey Barnes is on his way to start a. Fast counterattack, and you know with this Leicester City team, you don't want to give them counters. Just the pace of Jamie Vardy, the pace of Harvey Barnes, you don't want to let them get away on the counter. I think looking back on it, 
now after shooting the final score, Connor Gallagher would not uh, regret it. And, and I think at that moment, none of the Chelsea players really blamed him for having to make that foul. It was a very important challenge to make to stop a, a really, really quick counterattack from them. Yeah, seeing how the game turned out, it only affects the next game where he's not in that midfield. But it did really change how Chelsea had to play against Leicester. You know Leicester wants to have, you know, 30, 35, 40% of the ball and get long balls in. But they had 55% of the ball this game. It really changed the way it was played. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you would expect Chelsea to, to, to dominate in possession of this game and, and really take the game of the scruff of the neck. But with 10 minutes, it's a little bit harder to do, isn't it? Yep. We'll move to the goal just after halftime. Um, a ball, a ball in from to Raheem Sterling's feet from Mark Kukurea. Uh, Sterling's allowed to turn, given the space and the time, and and Sterling makes what Sterling does. He just makes a little bit of magic, puts a a nice curling ball in the top right bin, and it's one 0 Chelsea. Raheem Sterling, very very nice goal by Sterling there. Uh, can't give the uh, player of that quality that much space on the edge of the box. Gotta be smarter by Lester there. The hell of a, hell of a dip on that shot, man. Hats off. off! Hats off to Sterling. Well, the shot did come off of Marty, uh, right in front of Sterling. But yeah, the keeper wasn't getting to it. Great goal, and it's the first goal from an attacker this season from Chelsea. We saw last year a lot of their goals come from their midfield or defensive players too. So that could be something to watch moving forward. I was going yep. to mention that Sterling's first goal in the uh, darker shade of blue for Chelsea the ceiling uh, this season, and it didn't take long for him to double his goal tally on this season, did it? Yeah, great, great run and um, ball from James there, one-two, then a great cross, what James is known for to Sterling. Great position by Sterling there for an easy tap-in. Back post tap-in, can't beat it, 2-0 for Chelsea yeah. with 10 men at Stanford Bridge. Uh, but but Leicester wouldn't go away, would they? Um, Barnes did really well uh, in a one v one with Thiago Silva, one of those transition goals I was talking about earlier. Um, and and with his left foot, just puts one near post and beats Mindy on that near post. Uh, draw one back to make it two one. Yeah, very very powerful strike by Barnes there. Good to see him get on the score sheet. I've always been a Barnes fan. Want to see him get going good before the England. World Cup, maybe he gets a call up. Hope to see it. Yeah, good one-two from Vardy there. And like I said, he just puts it past the keeper. Nice go all the way around. Yeah, but speaking speaking of Vardy, Justin, what was Vardy thinking in the 94th minute when Lester had that last chance? I thought he put in a little bit better of a cross there. It was, it was, the very, it was at the very end of the game. But, yeah, he was uh, the ball was given to him at the uh, kind of – they are putting balls in left and right in the game Lester was. And he came up with the ball at, uh, kind of at the um, edge of the box. And he tried to look like, to me, he tried to take a shot, and it should have been a cross, but not sure what he was thinking there. Lester really forced the issue um, to try to get level and, and earn a point in this game, but we're just unable to as Chelsea were, were strong defensively and, and kept him out. You know, Yeah, they had 11 corners in the game, 17 shots, but only five on target. You really need to find the target more if you're Lester, especially with that many chances. Yep. Absolutely, and this leaves uh, Leicester with just one point on the season and bottom of the table this week. Yeah, you know things are not going well for Leicester City. Uh, the opening day two-two draw with Brentford, which is a really good result for for Brentford. Uh, obviously, that four-two loss to Arsenal at the Emirates, um, a two-one loss to Southampton after going up one-nil, and then a two-one loss to a ten-man Chelsea team. 
Yeah, you know, David Moyes was the talk of the hot seat last week. The week before, it was Eric Ten Hag. This week, it's Brendan Rodgers. What do we think, guys? Is he in trouble? No, I really, I don't think you put the blame on Brendan Rodgers too much. I think he's in there trying to tell Lester he needs players, and Lester, I mean, has Lester bought a player yet this season? No, and they're not planning to. They're in financial troubles from everything I've been reading. Yeah, so I really don't think we can put all this on Brendan Rodgers. I think he's doing the most with what he's got on his hands right now. I mean, he's got players not want to play for him, players want to leave. So, I mean, there's a lot going on at Leicester right now. I think he's doing the best he can with the job. But you look at the quality of this team. You know, you're right. He's not really getting the backing and the transfer marking, and and the team can kind of get a little stale, especially when you have an unsettled player like um, Wesley Fofana. But, I mean, this team – is not a bad group of guys. I mean, Drewsby Hall has come really along the past season, and, and now he still has Yuri Tillemans. He, he's got Harvey Barnes, Jamie Vardy, James Madison, uh, Mindy and Didi, Ihe Nacho, Daka. You know, James Justin, Timothy Castagna. It's not like they're. It's not like they're underhanded and they don't have the players for it. They just don't seem to be clicking as well as, as we might have expected from them. Yeah, didn't name too many center backs there. That's their main problem. They're selling their best center back, and they're not going to be able to replace it. So, yeah, <laughs> unless they take uh, twenty or thirty million of that seventy that they're getting from Chelsea, if they're even able to do that and go after a solid center back, it's going to be tough for them. I mean, Johnny Evans has, I think, plantar fasciitis that flared up a good bit last season, and that's something that you never get rid of. You're always going to struggle with that. So he's probably their best center back, and if he's going to be kind of questionable moving forward, you never really know how they're going to do. Absolutely. you got to look to replace him. Uh, moving along, we'll move from that three-goal game to a uh, two-goal game. The GTEC Community Stadium hosted a, a clash between Brentford and Everton. Coming coming into the game, it's a big game for Everton. Brentford beat them both times in the Premier League last year, so it's a real redemption game for Everton. Absolutely, and, and Frank Lampard elected to start no striker this game. Rondon on the bench, he had uh, Gordon Gray and McNeil again in his front three. Before the game, Everton announced – they have signed striker Neil Mope from Brighton for uh, upwards of about 15 million pounds. What do we think of that signing as a uh, as a desperate striker for Everton Football Club? Well, it's just what y'all need. Like you said, another week without starting a true number nine. I think that this will be the last week of that. Hopefully. Yeah, good, good signing by Everton there. Um, is Neil Mope, is he good in the air? Because I hey. feel like Everton's looking to put in a bunch of crosses. So I know, I know that's what DCL likes. So. Yeah, he's he's decent in the air. He he's definitely a contrast from from DCL, but uh, in terms of physicality, height wise, but he he definitely is known to score a few goals with his head, and, and he takes up the right positions to be able to put those in his head. Um, so I guess hopefully we'll get to see him on Tuesday against Leeds. Yeah, but good good. Uh, speaking of the game, great first save uh, by Pickford there in the very first minute. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't take long for Brentford to start uh, putting the pressure on. But really, I think the the story of the game in the first half, Everton were were better in possession and build up. The final pass seemed to be a big switch that came from either Connor Cody or James Tarkowski playing out wide to one of those three up front. Uh, these long switches were, were of quality most of the time. I think Cody only had two that went askew. Um, but... 
one of them coming from Cody uh, over the top. Gordon perfectly timed run, let it come across his body, touch with his left foot, and put it right up underneath the Brentford keeper into the side netting uh, to make it 1-0. Uh, great start for Everton, that. Speaking of that goal, I mean, I got a question for y'all. Does that goal help Gordon's move to Chelsea? Does it help or hurt his chances going to Chelsea? I think it um, helps Everton call calls him to hang up the phone with Chelsea calling. That's what I think so as well. Yeah, uh, Frank Lampard Frank Lampard in the presser before the game stated that uh, there comes a point in the transfer window, especially the transfer window that happens during games being played, that you just have to say, we're not willing to let an integral part of our squad go, no matter what the price is. And um, Lampard saying that he's quickly approaching that line in the sand that he's going to have to cut, slam the window shut on that potential deal for Gordon. He, uh, you know, Gordon saying he wants the deal, but you know, players don't always get what they want. And, and, and Anthony looks like the kind of lad that's going to put in a shift no matter what. So hopefully, you know, if he doesn't get sold, he doesn't spite Everton for it and, and shut down for the season. But that goal definitely, uh, definitely, Showed he's he's got a, a bit of quality about him, and, and Everton definitely need that in this team. That didn't stop Brentford though from making chances. Brentford bombing chances in the box. They rang the post twice. A couple good saves from Pickford, and just a couple of missed opportunities for Brentford. This game could have been level or Brentford up two one at the at the half. What do we uh what do we think about the way Brentford started that game? I mean, yeah, they, the way they started the game especially, I think Everton looked very shaky in the first 10 minutes before Gordon's goal. So I think Brentford should have got one in the first 10 minutes. I think they should have got one again in the 33rd minute with that cross and header off the post, rebound shot over the crossbar. I think that should have been put away. So, yeah, Brentford definitely played a really good game in the first half, just very unlucky with their chances. Yeah, Even more chances from them in the second half too, though. Yeah, and like you said, in the 33rd minute, whenever it rebounded back out to Wisa, he got completely scouted. If he puts it on target anywhere, I think he scores it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Everton uh, definitely shaky on the transition. Uh, they, they they had decent possession in the first half. Onana and Awobi patrolling the midfield, creating – creating a couple passes back to the center backs for those big wide switches uh, out to Mikolinko and Patterson. But again, and you know, this seems to be a theme with Everton football club. They, they do well uh, in, in, in possession with their back six and they get Patterson and Mikolinko high up the field, but they're just, Dying for someone to cross the ball to. I mean, Patterson, he looks like a decent fullback, and Minkalenko, we know, is is a is a decent wingback as well. He can put in crosses and, and even score goals too. They just have no one to aim at, and as soon as they get the ball into a position where they're looking across, it's almost like they they remember. Oh wait, I can't cross the ball because we have no one in the box to cross to. So let me pull back and try to find something else, and and that really seems to be hindering the Everton attack going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we've been preaching the whole time. They need a number nine. So, yeah, you would expect that out of your fullbacks. They know they can't cross the ball if no one's there. So that's kind of what you expect out of Everton right now. Just uh, just not not necessarily a good situation. But, um, you know, one nil up at halftime, you, you can't be too upset if you're, if you're Everton. Uh, the second half, Everton – Definitely looked like they were lacking confidence. Uh, looked like they were okay with sitting back and parking the bus and trying to take that one no win. Uh, other than a Damari Gray twisting and turning potential chance that got blocked, 
Everton really didn't look like much, creating much in, in the second half, uh, and they allowed Brentford possession, and with that possession, they slung in cross after cross into the Everton box. Dealt with decently until uh, Holgate got hurt, um, and, and Michael Keane was brought on, and then Bright, Brentford really started to create better and more clear-cut chances. Well, I mean, in the 52nd minute, uh, Brentford had a great opportunity with No Guard uh, with the bicycle kit. Good save by uh, Pickford there off the crossbar and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, a couple of good saves early in the second half from Pickford. Kept Everton ahead, which is just amazing another for good, us. And then a, another good strike by Gordon in the 56th minute as well. First time volley by him. Yeah, I believe that one went right at the keeper. Am I, am I mistaken? It, it did go right at the keeper. Yeah. I, you know, it's a good chance. Anywhere else, you know, you've got a chance of scoring. But, again, I mean, it was, the, the Everton chances were few and far between. Onana was pulled, telling Lampard at halftime that he didn't think he was going to be able to make it the entire 90. Pulled off the pitch. Tom Davis replaces him. And on the ensuing corner, Keen Lewis Potter puts in a cross. Flick from the front post. And, uh... Vitaliti Genlet was on the back post awaiting a tap in. Awobi and Patterson just lost their markers there. I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like the story of the season right now with these set pieces from the corners and stuff like that. Front post flick-ons, wait, person waiting at the back post. So, yeah, great set piece by Brentford there in the 84th minute. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be said, Everton just has to be better from corners. They gave up the league most 22 goals last year from corners. So, you just got to be better. Absolutely. They brought in Tarkowski and, and Cody, which are two um, veteran older center backs that, that are, are aerial threats, but just uh, haven't been able to quite figure out how to keep the ball out of the net from corner kicks. Um, and it has to be said, you know, Keen Lewis Potter was everywhere for Brentford that game. Uh, when he came on, he, he, he looks like a, a true signing from whole city and, and he made, a brilliant difference when he came on and in the uh, 68th minute, the same sub as Mason Holgate. Yep. Uh, basically, to cap off this game, Brentford did what they did very well last year, which is earning points from a losing position. Last year, they, I want to say they led the league with 16 points earned from a losing position. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good stat by uh, Brentford there. Um but, yeah, I also got a little uh, something on Gordon. I mean, he was showing out all game, good and bad, uh, both ways. Uh, the way he was ran into the Aston Villa uh, assistant uh, coach there, it's like he didn't need to extend his arms and shove him all the way to ground with that much force he did, just throwing his arms up at some of the calls the ref made. I feel like he was showing out in the bad way, but also showing out in the good way with the great goal he had in that first-time volley I brought up. So I just feel like Gordon was showing out in all ways, just trying to make a scene out there trying to get his name out there in the headlines, maybe for the Chelsea move. To be fair, Ben Mee pushed Gordon into the coach and Gordon braced for impact. I don't I don't necessarily believe that he – in the replay, it doesn't exactly look like he pushed him. He, he just kind of had his hands up to not – you know, to brace himself because he's about to run into somebody. Um, there, was, there was a little bit of tension after that moment um, between them and, and they went over for a hug and, and hugged it out and said, hey, look, you know, it's part of the game. 
personally, I don't think he meant to push him. I think he was pushed into him, but yeah, you know, it, it, it was a moment of the game and there was, there was a good bit of frustration from Gordon. You, you got to feel for the guy cause he's, he's linked to a big money move to a massive club, a club where he's going to get service and he'll have people that he can play the ball to. That's, he wants, he wants to move. I feel like that's why he was shown out, you know, at Everton, you know, he, he, he's kind of a focal point in our attack and he doesn't really have anyone. He doesn't really have anyone to rely on when he plays a ball in. He can't give service to anybody at the moment. And that's got to be frustrating for a player who, you know, makes long runs with the ball, carries the ball very well. is very deceptive in his touches. And then he has, there's no end product because he can't give it to anybody, but good for him to get a goal here. And uh, we'll see with the remaining days in the window, what his, what his future holds. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. We'll move to the other 10 o'clock game. The the one goal game, which uh, we, we thought was our game of the uh, week when we did our predictions last week, the Amex Stadium in the south coast of England hosted Brighton and Hove Albion versus Leeds United. And uh, in, in my personal opinion, this one did not live up to the hype that, that we put on it. Uh, oh, a 66- not, not- Go ahead. Not at all. I mean, I was I was expecting a really good game. You know, Rodrigo coming in, he scored in the first three games. Coming into the game, he was the Premier League leading scorer with four goals. So, yeah, I was expecting a lot out of this game, you know. So, kind of honestly about put me to sleep, I have to say it, fellas. But, yeah, very boring game, if I have to say. Yeah, you always expect a goal from Lees, and it just never came today, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, we can get into everything that happened, all the little stuff that happened in the game. But, yeah. Very, very boring game, if I had to say. Uh, the 66-minute goal from uh, Pascal Gross uh, was the difference in the game. Uh, that is just coming from Leandro Trossard on, on a uh, VAR checked not offsides by Danny Welbeck. Pretty decent goal. Uh, and, and I think it was definitely not against the run of play. Brighton definitely deserved that. They were the better team in this one. There's no doubt about that. One of the things I have to say, Tyler Adams for 12 million pounds is a steal, an absolute steal. This guy is everywhere on this pitch. Yeah, between him and Brendan Aronson, both quality signings. Love it as an American. And, I mean, considering yeah. they, they got $40 million for Calvin Phillips, $12 million on a replacement who is just at the same level or, or just under Calvin Phillips is, is a very, very good bit of business by Leeds. Yeah, yeah, really he, happy to see the two Americans playing for sure, and Adams especially balling out in the midfield. That helps out United States going into the World Cup, so I really like to see it. Yeah, and just what our talking about the United States midfield needs uh, constant playing time, especially in that engine room. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking more on the game here, I mean, Brighton, like you said, Jack dominated the whole game for the most part, really. Uh, but Webster, seventeenth minute. Really bad miss by him. Great set piece by Brighton, but he should have put that away. I was expecting more out of him there. Absolutely. Near post cross. Also, also to speaking more on just uh, Brighton here, another bad miss in the 27th minute by Troussard. He tried to take a first-time volley there and just completely mishit it. So, yeah, I feel like if Brighton just took these chances well, they could have completely ran away with this game. Absolutely, and they marshaled Leeds well on the other end of the pitch. I mean, they, they kept them away from the goal. Leeds were able to transition and get the ball into their final third, but but as soon as it got there, it was shut down by Brighton. You know, it, in terms of shots, you know, Leeds only had two shots on target, and, and – I think in the first half they really only had two shots total, and one was 
way off the mark. So it really wasn't, you know, that that performance that we see from Leeds, but they 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 won the possession battle in terms of statistics. I mean, 57 to 42 percent. And in terms of passes, you know, they they beat Brighton in that regard. But again, you know, 16 clearances to Brighton's eight. Uh, five corners for Brighton, three for Leeds. It, it, it really was a matter of Brighton just just unfurling their feathers and showing that they, as a collective unit, are are a true force to be dealt with in the Premier League this year. And, and props to Graham Potter in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Brighton, 10 points to start the season out of four games. Um, only goal against Brighton this year, fellas, an own goal. So great start to the season by Brighton. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting fourth uh, by way of goal differential right now on the table, but tied on points for a second. Can't beat that, can you? Nope. Moving forward to the 12:30 game on Saturday, the Emirates Stadium hosted a London Derby between uh, Arsenal and Fulham. Uh, notables missing players for Arsenal: uh, Alexander Zinchenko and Thomas Partey, both out for Arsenal due to injury. So the first time Arsenal I mean- have really had to change their rotation here. Yeah, to speak on those injuries, though, um, from what I've been reading, they're not really too bad of injuries. They're just precautionary injuries here. We know we have a midweek game coming up. So just trying to hold them out, you know, not risk them uh, play overexertion here, playing them too early. Long season. we got European games to play this year. So just taking it easy right now. Yeah, that's definitely a good shout. I mean, uh, you got to have a little bit of rotation, especially with playing uh, three games in seven days. Uh, coming up this week and and then again like you say arsenal in the europa league with that congested fixture schedule with that care about cup fa cup and then the world cup again i mean it, it is definitely going to be a season of um, rotation for a lot of those teams that have uh, extra games to play the first half arsenal you know looked a better team as we expected uh imposing their will you know, um, a couple of good chances. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more, man. We had definitely a couple of good chances there. Definitely should have put away one or two of them, I believe. But Arsenal domination, like you said, in the first half, very disappointed not to put away one of those chances. Yeah, really the best chance was where y'all had Leno out of goal and he just made a nice stop to keep it nil-nil. But since you brought him up, I think Leno was destined to play the game of his career this game. And I think uh, he almost. I think he almost did. Yeah, he was. Think, he was on a mission. Moving on to the second half, um, a 56th minute mistake from uh, Gabriel, the the bald one. Uh, there's a lot of Gabriels on this team, if you didn't know. Uh, leads to an Alexander Mitrovic uh, goal to put Film up one nil on the road to the Emirates. Sub, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, what is he doing there? You got to do better as a defender with the ball as deep in your half right there, right in front of goal. So you know if you give it away, you're leaving your keeper to be called out, which is exactly what happened. And <clears throat> Mitrovic just puts it past him. BJ, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I kind of expected a Mitrovic uh, goal happening in this game, and I was that's why I was really disappointed not to put away one of those chances in the first half. But – yeah, Gabrielle there, you got to know you're going to have a man on your on you and can't be doing all that. Take uh, What do you take, like three touches to get it off from underneath his feet there? So you can't be doing that in the back with Mitrovic right on you. So Gabrielle, he's good for like a mistake like that. He's honestly turning into almost like a Jaka, good for a mistake every other game almost. But, yeah, he made up for it later in the game, which we'll get to. 
He did, and I, to, to 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 put my two cents on that goal as well. It looked like it was a ball, um, a ball that was floated in the air from uh, the other side. His Arsenal building out of the back as they do so well, and Gabriel tried to control it. And I think he, I think he didn't just destroy his first touch, but he, it took him a second touch to get it underneath, and then a third touch to look to find a player. And as a defender. You got to be inept to smell the danger, and and when whenever Alexander Mitrovic is around, that that is a a stench of danger because he is is a player that looks always likely to get on the score sheet. I mean, he had a couple of of decent chances with his head in this game, um, and and yeah. he 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 just picked Gabriel's pocket and put one away in the fifty six minute. So speaking on that fifty six minute goal, yeah, Mitrovic put it away. But uh, right after that, sixty uh, first minute, we decided to make a substitution, take off Kieran Tierney, and bring on Eddie Nketiah. And boy, did Eddie Nketiah change the game! I think, fellas, what do y'all think about that substitution? Yeah, it was a change in formation from from Arsenal. It was, uh, or, or not? I guess not a change in formation because Xhaka kind of pushed into that left back role where Tierney was. Uh, to help build up in possession, um, and and Inketia came on as kind of like a shadow striker to Jesus, and, and really played very well, in my opinion, Justin. Yeah, great tactical change by Arteta. Seems like he took a lot from Pep's playbook while he was at City. Yeah, and then so right after that, Martin Odegaard with the 64th minute goal to get Arsenal back in it, and boy, did that light the crowd up at the Emirates Stadium here today. And they took advantage of that crowd, the 12th man out there. Absolutely. Sokka with a, a run down the channel and into the Fulham defense, just lays it off or just passes it to the left a little bit to Martin Odegaard, who fires a shot, sends Leno diving to his right, deflection off the defender, puts the ball to Leno's left, and it's it's a 1-1 game there to the Emirates. And I think when that goal went in, you just kind of knew that, that, uh, that Arsenal were going to find a way to get a second or a third and, and – I don't. I don't know if you knew. I don't. I'm not sure if you knew that was going to happen. Like Arsenal, the Arsenal of the past season, you're not. They're not really known for these comebacks that these big teams you got to make if you want to actually challenge for the title. So I really wasn't confident that Arsenal was going to get that next goal to get three points. I thought Fulham might have had a chance there to get a couple goals. I mean, another goal and make it two one for them. So I wasn't knowing that that was going to happen, but. I was glad to see it happen. That's what that's when you know you got a good team on your hands, a team that's willing to make these comebacks down one zero, stuff like that. So yeah, maybe, really happy to see it happen. Maybe not from an Arsenal fans perspective, but from from a neutral in that game, I, I personally thought, yeah, Arsenal's gonna Arsenal's gonna find a way back into this one and get all three points. And and, and they did just that. Gabriel to bald Gabriel on a corner kick and uh bald Gabriel got his uh got his redemption, didn't he? Yeah, ball bouncing around off a corner, um, and ball bounced right behind the keeper, and Gabriel was there to tap it in, and he got his redemption, like you just said, and I think he was very happy from that. But even more happier was William Saliba, in my opinion. Did y'all see celebration afterwards? Talking about a player that doesn't love the club. Come on, guys. I didn't see it. This, this guy. This guy's over here celebrating like he scored the goal. Love to see it. Yeah, you got to be happy with a 2-1 comeback against your in-town rivals. Um, Arsenal's first test of the season. I believe that's the first time they've trailed the season. And, and it comes by way of uh, recently promoted Fulham. A good Fulham team by, with that that have, that have gotten a couple really good results. And, and Arsenal 
take take their rightful place on the top of the Premier League as they've looked the best club so far. Coming up for Arsenal the next five games, they've got Villa, Manchester United, Everton, Brentford, and Tottenham. So, it, it you know, it, I, I feel the Villa game, when we get to predictions, you know, I feel the Villa game will be one that they can win. Uh, and, and then the next four after that, the month of September and, and the start of October, will really be a good test for them, and, and we'll see how good this Arsenal team is. With that run of games, they could easily still see themselves at the top of the table if they keep playing like they are. Absolutely. They absolutely dominated possession in this one. Um, passes, touches, shots, uh, all of all of the measurable statistics in this game. Arsenal won, won possession 72% to 28%, 22 shots to Fulham's 11 shots. Fulham with 30 clearances in this game, and Arsenal with over double the passes of Fulham. They, they, really, they really put it on them and, and did what we expected them to do, which was a, which was a 2-1 win. I mean, yeah, and going off like what you said, Jack, just about the games coming up, uh, September we only play five games, but the month of October alone, Arsenal play nine games. So huge month for them in October. Just really excited to see how that turns out and see how this season really shapes up and in coming into November. All right, well, we'll move to Sunday games, um, 9 a.m. Uh, not, not necessarily the uh, most exciting games of the weekend, but we did have some, some pretty good ones. We'll start uh, – Aston Villa hosted West Ham at Villa Park. Yeah, Samaka, Skamaka making his first Premier League start. The Italian striker West Ham bought. Antonio had been playing really good this season. They finally decided to bench him and give Skamaka his start, so I was happy to see that. I thought it interesting um, West Ham decided to go with a back five that included Emerson, who they just got from Chelsea, and it didn't last long, did it? No, they did not. Halftime, David Moyes elects to go back to a back four. He hooks Emerson off the pitch, and uh, he brings on Saeed Ben Rama for an extra attacker because he knew, you know, hey, we haven't scored a game, we haven't scored a goal this season, we haven't earned a point this season. We got to go for it, guys. We got to go get yeah. ourselves a goal, and 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 the, the change in formation made all the difference as a uh, as a seventy uh, fourth minute. Pablo Fernau's goal was the difference in this one. It ended 1-0. Uh, Pablo Fernau's shot deflected off of a, a defender. I believe it was Kansa, and just lifted up over Emiliano Martinez. Absolutely nothing he could do about it, and it was 1-0. Speaking on the first half, I mean, good strike by Watkins in the 13th minute. Deflection for the corner, uh, and then corner goes out of place. Uh, scored off the corner, uh, though. So that was, uh, was a great play by them but um yeah but obviously i honestly thought villa dominated the first half of that game and most of, and a little bit of the second half as well yeah west ham did not uh did not look very menacing i, I mean they had they had good possession and they had, they created a couple chances but like you said you know villa looked to be the team on top Bowen was on a 2v1 chance a fake shot chopped the defender and pulled away, and Lucas Dina sliding in to make a goal-saving recovery and tackle. That was a that was a brilliant opportunity for Jared Bowen, someone yeah. he, someone who you would bet that on to good. score there. Yeah, it was a really really good tackle by Dina there, a uh, goal-saving tackle in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're Bowen there, I think you got to take your shot earlier because they had a two v one on the break uh, with the defender and. If he decides to get it over to whoever's running with him or shoot instead of chopping the defender, he's got a much better chance because that gives Luka Dean the chance to get back and make that tackle. Yeah. 
I agree. Absolutely. Um, obviously, West Ham get their goal, and they see out the rest of this game. Uh, to, to be noted, uh, Steven Gerrard didn't really try to change much. He just made like-for-like substitutions, and he brought on Buendia for a hurt Coutinho. Uh, he brought on Leon Bailey. Uh, you know, he he was he was switching like for like players and and trying sticking with the system that he had and trying for it. But when the final whistle blew, the booze erupted from Villa Park. What do what do we uh, what do you think about three wins from his last fifteen games from Steven Gerrard at Villa? Villa had most of the chances getting forward this game, so I can see why he made the like for like subs. But three wins in fifteen with that Villa squad. I mean, you should definitely have at least eight wins with what they've got on paper. Yeah, but speaking off of that, yeah, it was like I said, huge deflection in the 74th minute for West Ham's goal. Very unlucky for uh, Villa there. Unlucky the whole game, honestly, for Villa, where, how it went with uh, some of West Ham's chances. And But the luck, sometimes you just you can't just say it's unlucky for Gerard. I think it's time for him to go. Like you said, three wins in the past 15 games. You just can't can't do that with that kind of talent they got on the team, which kind of money they've been putting in at for him. Just can't do it. So time for Gerard to go, in my opinion. Mm, it doesn't look great. Next up, they have Arsenal, like we mentioned earlier. The the game after that, they visit no or they host none other than Manchester City, and um, they travel to Leicester. They have Southampton at home, which is a winnable game. It, it has to be a winnable game in their eyes because I don't see them getting much from the other three games. And then uh, they travel to Ellen Road. And, and visit Leeds, uh, Steven Gerrard. Other than that one win this season against strikerless, depression-filled Everton, it, it 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 isn't looking great for them. Uh, I, I think they, I think you guys hit the nail on the head there. I think they played well in this game. I think they had the majority of the chances, but were unable to to make it happen. And uh, one nil is your final score here. Anything more to add? Yeah, it especially doesn't help that this is the first points for West Ham of the season too. So that doesn't help Gerrard's case at all. Nope. No, first points and, and first still, goal. And yep. if he's still at the helm against Leicester and he doesn't come away with three points there with how they've been playing, sacking that week. No love. No love at all. Uh, we'll move on from that one to the other nine o'clock game, and th- and this one was uh, this one was a great game. I mean, it was it was in the end. Wolves was Wolves won. Newcastle won at Molyneux. I mean, it's about all you can ask for out of a one-one draw, fellas. I mean, yeah, you, you can't ask for much more. You got that right. Uh, I thought it interesting. Nelson Semedo gets uh, gets the start in this one, uh, and he's matched up with Alan St. Maximon. And, and in the first half, he did very well against one of the most electric players in the Premier League. Obviously, he got a 28th-minute yellow card. Had to bring him down. Alan St. Maximon was about to get on a fast break. But um, I feel like I feel like that that matchup was a, was a decent one. Uh, pace for pace, Nelson yeah. Semedo kept up. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good matchup to see out there on the pitch. But like I was saying last podcast, um, it's no surprise to see Wolves go back to the 4-3-3. It was just them to – I think there was really just a tactical matchup to match up with Tottenham in the 3-5-2 setup. So no surprise for them to go back to the 4-3-3 here. And I think they performed really well with it. Semedo matched up really well with St. Matsman. Of course, St. Matt ASM is going to get uh, some of his opportunities there. And he really did this game. New boys, Mateus Nunes and uh, Gonzalo Guedes, get their second starts in a row. Uh, Nunes with a, was a, with a decent first-half chance. Another header that he could have seen his, his first Premier League goal go in, uh, just like he did last week against Tottenham, but but again, he was just wide. 
Yeah, very, very unfortunate for him there. I, but he's a true engine in that midfield with him and Neves and Matinho. Really, really nice midfield, like Justin was saying last week as well. Maybe one of the best midfields in the Premier League if you're just looking at those three starting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. All played across to uh, Ruben Neves. Gonzalo Guedes, uh, ball on the left flank, plays the ball across to Ruben Neves. And I, I think it was brilliant. New Stadium, the one thing you heard was, shoot. And what did Ruben Neves do, guys? He shot. I it's mean, not, yeah. He, typical Neves goal. Beautiful. Uh, through the legs of Joe Willick, knuckled into the near post. And really Neves-esque as yeah, 16 you, of his 25 goals have come out from outside the penalty area. Definitely expect this out of Neves, and it was a really nice goal. He connected very well. Good to see him doing it. I think it should be said, the, the ball that was played into Gonzalo Guedes was from Neves himself, and it was a brilliant pass. I mean, I, I honestly thought he was going to shoot that one. Plays a brilliant pass into Gonzalo Guedes. Gonzalo Guedes chops, comes back, gives it back to him, and for the second straight week in a row, a goal was scored through the legs of Joe Willick. Yeah, very unfortunate for Willick out there, the former Arsenal player. You know, I'd just like to see him do well. And he has been performing pretty well, just get some starts for um, Newcastle out there. But, yeah, very unfortunate that for that to happen to him. Needed to be mentioned, um, Newcastle missing t- two starters in this game. Uh, uh, Bruno Gimirish, uh on the – or not even on the bench, doesn't make the team due to injury and uh, – as well as uh, Callum Wilson missing completely from the team from injury. Uh, Chris Wood takes Callum Wilson's place at the number nine spot at the top, and and uh, Sean Longstaff uh, took the place of Bruno Gamerish in the middle. Definitely hindered the team, in my opinion. Tyus Nunez is the engine of the Wolves midfield. Bruno Gamerish is the same for, for Newcastle, and, and them missing that was a big loss for them today. Yeah, big loss for them. It definitely You definitely saw it hurt Newcastle out there in the middle of the park. Absolutely. Needed to be said. Um, halftime came. 1-0 Wolves. Molyneux was jumping. Excited. After halftime, in the 46th minute, uh, Fabian Scher gives the ball away. Lunges straight into a challenge on the shin of NATO and saw a yellow card. VAR reviewed this and backed up the referee's opinion. No red card. What do we think of this challenge, guys? Oh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely not a not a red card. Definitely a strong yellow, though, in my opinion. A, a good call from VAR there. Um, yeah, keeps keeps the game level at eleven v eleven. Uh, Newcastle crossing in lots of balls <laughs> later on in the game, but unfortunately for uh, for Eddie Hausman, they had withdrawn Chris Wood and had really no head to aim at. Uh, no height in the Wolves box. I mean, I think they put in a, a successive like eight crosses at one point to to no regard due to no height in the front line. Th- it needs to be said there was a second goal scored for Wolves in this game. Um, on a counter, Pedro Neto nudged Frazier as he was going up for a header. Didn't get caught on the field. Neto takes the ball. Uh, 3v1 counterattack. Nature plays a brilliant cross to Jimenez. Uh, 2-0. VAR had a look. Called the foul. No goal. Did Frazier go down too easily? I definitely – I think it's a real foul there. I mean, I, you saw a clear extension of the arm in my opinion. So, you got to call it. I mean, yeah, don't call it on the pitch. But it led to a goal, which, I mean, the if the play leads to a goal, you got to call it back. So, yeah, good call by VAR there. 
Yeah, I completely agree with everything BJ just said. You saw the extension of the arm, and it directly led to a goal as it led to the three-on-one break. So, got to call it back. I think I agree with you guys as well on that one. I think it was a, I, I think it was a good no call in the field, allow the play to continue, and 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 that's what VAR is for is to get those decisions right. And I think they nailed that one. Ninetieth minute, Newcastle on the attack, as they were towards the end of this game for the most part. Uh, a ball popped up in the air. It came down with a little bit of ice on it. It was so high in the air, and a one touch strike from Allen St. Maximum finds the right side netting of the goal. Jose saw. Didn't even make a move for it. Couldn't make a move for it. No chance. Alan St. Maximon, beautiful one-time ball. You haven't seen it. You need to see it. Guys, what do we think of that goal? Is that a goal for the year? Oh, yeah, definitely goal. potential goal of the season right now, in my opinion. Uh, Alan St. Maximon, great volley there. He's been playing with that sauce all game, though. So, you know, you put a little bit on that volley, and boy, did he. Yeah, what a volley it was. Um, but it's his first goal in his last 18 league games and first since January. So hopefully it really opens up for him in games to come. Yeah, that's something he's not really known for is those uh, goal tallies and stuff like that. So I am really happy to see him get on the goal sheet. But, man, that volley was something else, fellas. I mean, the quality and the talent are clearly there. On, and they're on display week in and week out. I mean, the the, the kid can play – Footy, the the uh, the return and his goal and assist tally obviously isn't where you want it for the for the level of player he is. But I mean, you know, if you're gonna make a move for him in the transfer market, he he's gonna be a very very valuable player even without those goal tallies. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. He's still a, a highly rated player in my opinion. Will cost a lot in the transfer market. Later in stoppage time, eight minutes of stoppage time in this one, by the way, guys. Uh, later in stoppage time, uh, Newcastle play a ball into the back post. You know, Jimenez doesn't clear. And Anderson has a wide open chance to get off the mark with his first Premier League goal for Newcastle. And Neves, Ruben Neves just barely puts him off and, and keeps it a 1-1 as Anderson finds the crossbar. No chance for Jose Saul on that one. Again, it could have been an easy tap-in, but Ruben Neves with a brilliant defensive intervention to keep it at 1-1 on this one, and, uh, and that's, that's how the final score ended. Yeah, and is this a set piece that we'll continue to see all throughout the year where the attacking team tries to find the man at the near post and he flick it onto the far post? Yeah, it looks, it looks to be a... Uh, a trend for the Premier League, for sure. Absolutely. A, a nice set piece, and it's working well. I mean, to mention, not to bring it back to Everton, but to mention that's how Brentford scored their goal uh, uh, across the front post, flicked onto the back post, and there's a wide-open tap-in. So it, it looks to be a, a really good rhythm, and a, and a it, really, it looks to be a decent set piece, and we'll see how many more teams can profit off of that. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to the final game of uh, Game Week 4. Forest host Spurs. Um, Conte likes to keep the same team, uh, the same 11, starting 11. If it's not broke, don't fix it, right, guys? Yeah, you got that right. I mean, they've been rolling with it for the past four games. So, yeah, no surprise to see them just stick with it. Good, good, solid starting lineup for the, the Spurs. Yeah, and they've been clicking well. So, like you said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, Spurs, uh, you know. Started on the back foot. Morgan Gibbs-White was starting for Forrest. I thought he was brilliant the entire game, but especially in, in the opening speaking minutes. Of, uh, 
Speaking of Forrest's lineup, though, uh, Yates starting in the middle. Ryan Yates, a academy player, has been with Forrest since the age of eight years old. So really exciting to see him come up and make his first Premier League start for them this season. Absolutely. He started in the middle next to O'Brien. And uh, yep. Forrest started on the front foot. I mean, they really looked electric in the first few minutes, feeding off of that brilliant uh, Forrest atmosphere. Uh, and, and Steve Cooper's Tricky Trees put in a couple of good chances to try to get up early, but but Spurs doing what Spurs do just so well. Counterattack, first chance for Kane. Spurs build up. Kulu finds Kane. Shoots through a crowd of people. No chance for Dean Henderson. It wasn't a clean hit. It had a lot of topspin. Hit the ground, bounced one time, but it found the sign netting and and uh, and Kane gets off the mark with a with a one nil with a one nil start to the game for Spurs. What do we think of that goal? Yeah, Dean Henderson never really saw it, so never really had an opportunity to dive for it. What, like you said, wasn't a clean uh, hit by Kane, but enough to find the corner like he's known for, corner of the goal. So no surprise to see him started off by uh, Spurs there. But like you said, man, the um, Nottingham Four is really out there trying early. Morgan gives White looking really hot out there, really trying to put something together and. Just unfortunate for him not to get a reward there at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that'll be a, that was Kane's third goal of this season so far, um, and and he would add to that tally later in the game. But uh, uh, Kane was also, you know, just a few minutes later through one v one with the keeper again, and Joe Whirl retreated just impressively well, brilliant slide tackle, keeping it at one nil. Um, and giving Forrest the best chance they could to 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 stay in the game, and I think that was just a brilliant save that needed to be mentioned. You know, the, I think the theme of this game was Forrest were moving the ball really well and, and were creating lots of chances, and Spurs were just deadly on the counter as they normally are. I mean, it, it really looks like Spurs win the ball back, and they find Son or they find Kulisewski two brilliant runners with the ball, and they just say go. Like it, it's almost like it's almost like as soon as they get a ball. As soon as they win the ball, Conte shoots a gun in the air, and and all of them are just off the mark. I mean, they're sprinting down the field. This is a Nottingham Forest side who have signed 18 players now, but a recently promoted team and outpossessed Spurs in this game, 55 to 45 percent. That's no surprise for Spurs. They're a team that is willing to sit back and sacrifice possession to get these counterattacks. They want a team to feel like, oh wow, we got possession. We can step up. Step up with the ball, you know. Get to the get our whole team into their the Tottenham's half of the field, and then boom! As soon as they lose that ball, like you said, they're off. That's what Tottenham wants. They want to lure you in. So no surprise there to see Tottenham not having possession. They don't care one bit about those possession stats. But yeah, that's what we typically see from Tottenham, and that's why City always has a such hard time playing them. But talking about force, they seem to be too precise all game trying to find the perfect pass for the perfect shot. Sometimes you just got to rip it and see what happens. Yep, always looking for that one pass too many, the light from Forrest. Yeah, I think that I think y'all hit the nail on the head with that one. And that front that that front three from Forrest was creating some impressive chances. The front three of Morgan Gibbs White, Jesse Lingard and Brennan Johnson. I mean, they really were were working working the ball well and and with the supporting cast of uh Tuffalo and Nico Williams on the outside, as long as, as with Brian Yates and, and Lewis Bryan. I mean, they were creating and creating and creating, just could not find the final pass for a goal. And and it, it needed to be said, I mean, Spurs were decent defending-wise. I mean, obviously, they, they kept a clean sheet, but but 
not due to a, a little bit of luck on their side as as Forest were really, really good. Oh yeah, this Forest team is going to be fun to watch all season. Absolutely. Yep. Very very young, talented team. Excited to see them play this year. Needed to be said. Fifty sixth minute, uh, Spurs awarded a penalty. Yeah, great save by uh, Dean Henderson there. Boy, did they erupt the crowd! And I thought thought Nottingham Forest was going to do something there, and they really did. Almost right after it, they could have made something with that chance at right after the save, but they didn't. Then really couldn't get back into the game after that. Yeah. Uh, Dean Henderson's second Sorry. penalty save of the season. Uh, the two coming against uh, West Ham's captain De- Declan Rice and Spurs captain Harry Kane. What were you going to say, Sue? So, do y'all think that the yellow card was the right call um, for the handball there? So, the Premier League came out and said, you know, you're getting it, you know, the other team's getting an advantage by a penalty. So, a yellow card can suffice in the place of a red card if a penalty is awarded at the same time. Now, the question is, was that an intentional and blatant handball? I think I feel like I feel like he wouldn't have. There was no chance the attacker was going to get ahead on that ball. Yes, his arm was way out of position. I agree with the pin and yellow card, but there wasn't a clear goal goal scoring opportunity there. So I don't think it could have been a red, in my opinion. Right, and the laws of the game state. If it is a, an intentional and blatant handball to stop a clear, obvious goal-scoring opportunity, then it's a straight red card. But you know, other than that, I I think I think there I think the referees got it right. I don't I don't ever like to take the sides of a referee because I think they're all bastards and they all suck. But I think they got it right in that situation. What do you about, what do you think uh, there, Sue? Yeah, I think they got it right. But talking about the definition. Of the ruling there, it definitely covers the first half of it, but I don't think Kane gets his head on it, so not a clear goal scoring opportunity. So with with that handball, that was one of one of Forrest's center backs to get a, a yellow card there. Steve Cook, within the next seven minutes, all three of Forrest's center backs go on to get yellow cards. So a very rough seven minutes there. So from the fifty fourth minute to the sixty first minute. All three of Nottingham Forest center backs got a yellow card. So after the 61st minute, they had to play very, very cautious in the back. And that's that's a dangerous thing, especially with a team in transition like Spurs, because if they get off to a quick transition, you can't make a tactical foul because you'll go down to ten men. You have to be yep. you have to be very cautious with your next move. And, and and you know against a team that's low block build up pass 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 all the way up the field it's not that big of a deal you know you don't you're not really going to suffer a yellow card challenge in your own half but when when you have a team that breaks in transition as well as Spurs do yeah man it it really takes a toll on you but uh that didn't stop Forrest at all the the atmosphere inside of that city ground was electric i think one of the best we've seen this year uh, Lingard and Morgan Gibbs White seem to be brilliant additions to this Forest team and in stuff near the end uh, and and, and Forrest were pushing the issue to try to get an equalizer, weren't they, guys? Yeah, um, right there in the um, – what minute was it? That uh, 69th minute that Emmanuel Dennis came on for Jesse Lingard. I think Dennis did pretty well for the cameo he had. Unfortunate for him not to get uh, Forrest back into the goal before um, Tottenham got their second goal. But, yeah, thought he did a pretty good job when he came on. Absolutely. I think it needs to be said, um, you know, if – in terms of a substitution, if you're going to be, if you're going to be make a substitution up one nil, uh, bringing on a guy who's known for relentless energy, 
elite shithousery and absolute piss taking. Richarlison is the man to do it. I mean, there was a couple of times that he got on the ball, shielded, got a kick to the shin, fell over, rolled around for a minute to waste some time, let Spurs to have a breather, get up the pitch. I mean, that that was a great tactical move by Antonio Conte, in my opinion. Yeah, it was. But talking about subs overall, you're going to see the bigger clubs benefit more by the rule change of having five subs as compared to three, which is really what you saw at the end of this game. Yeah, but you're also going to have to see clubs strategically plan these uh, subs because you only have three opportunities, well, four counting halftime to make these substitutions. So you really can't make just one substitution if you want to use all five of these subs. you got to make two or three at one time if you want to use all five of them. So you got to plan them out right. If you want to you take this one player off, can I take this other player off with him at this time? So you got you got to know what you're doing with these subs. It can't come back to bite you in the ass. Both of those statements, I very agree with. I do think the the bigger clubs obviously will benefit from the five substitution rule because they are they have overall more quality on their bench. And and you saw this a 74th minute change from Antonio Conte. Saw Ryan Sessegnon replace uh, replace Ivan Perisic, who is is an older lad, and he he worked very hard. I mean, he, he his quality is is there for everyone to see, and he's been brilliant this year so far for Spurs. And then also Rashalison to play, replace a very angry and frustrated Hunman Song. He was not happy to come off the pitch there, um, but I, I think Song's race was run. I think Conte made a, a, a good substitution there. Um, a chance for Spurs ends up with a blocked shot and and a ball out to the the out of bounds line. This is a, this is a ball. This is a runaway ball. It's kind of a lost cause in this situation. You're going to get a throw in if you're Spurs. But uh, like I said earlier, the energy of Richarlison, he runs it down, gets it back, shields off the Forest defender, and goes directly towards goal. Uh, Harry Kane waiting in the box, sitting on sitting in between the six and the PK spot, uh, and Richarlison. Uh, with the brilliant outside of his right boot curler away from the keeper right onto Harry Kane's head. And as soon as the ball crossed the line, Dean Henderson jumping up, looking at his defenders like, what are you guys doing? I mean, what are you doing? What do we think of that that assist and that goal, guys? Oh, great assist from Richarlison outside the foot, like you said. Couldn't have been placed better for Harry Kane. And then if you put the ball in the spot, you know this man's going to capitalize on it. And that's exactly what he did. 2-0, two goals from Harry Kane today. And then once that goal happened, there was no no chance really for us to get back, in my opinion. Just completely drained them in the 81st minute. Yeah, the assist is worth more noting than this goal right in front of goal. But it was, yeah, they were tired. They were about done then at that point, Forrest was. <laughs> and they for sure wasn't going to get two to come back. One was going to be about all they could manage. And, and and um that was kind of the, the deflating pin on that. I think um I think needed to note uh a, a bit of class from Antonio Conte here. He made a uh stoppage time substitution. Uh Rodrigo Bentecourt made way for the arguably forced legend, uh DeJed Spence, who came on to a uh a, a pretty emotional round of applause from all the Forest fans. A, a big thank you to, from them to their player who who was an integral part of that season that brought Forest up last year. Um, touch of class there from Antonio Conte and, and, and an overall touching moment uh, in this game towards the end. That'll wrap up game week four here. Um, and what a week it was. 
Uh, we saw a nine nil game. We all, we also didn't see one zero zero game. So if you if you're into scoring contests, you know game week four was the week for you. If you've been a, um, a habitual listener at this point in the show, you know what's coming next. It's it's uh, it's our chance to try to predict the unpredictable uh, game week five. Obviously, game week five this this week is a. Uh, uh, starts Tuesday and ends with a Manchester United Leicester match on Thursday, so we'll we'll just jump straight into the predictions and um, and we'll see you guys back for the next podcast. Uh, should be released Friday night. First game we got uh, Brighton going to Fulham. Who do we got in that game, fellas? I'm going to go with Brighton. I think they continue this run of form, um, and they may even keep Mitrovic from scoring. I'm gonna go two nothing Brighton. Yeah, I think uh, 13 points from Brighton in their last five games. It, it's a hard bet to go against Brighton. And uh, even though it is at, at Fulham, I think Brighton get the job done on the road and uh, and continue this brilliant run of form from Grand Pottersman. Brighton has been playing well, but so have Fulham, y'all. I got a draw happening in this one. I see, you see a little 1-1-2-2 action happening. But moving on to the next game, second game of week, uh, game week five, we have Brentford traveling to Crystal Palace. Thoughts on that game? Who what we got? Justin? I think this one I think this will be a hard fall contest. Brentford's been playing well, but they like to give up a goal or two and Palace plays really well, especially on the counter. And Vieira is a wonderful coach in his own right. I think Palace edges them out though, two one. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's a decent shout there from Justin. Um you know, both of these teams are brilliant on the counterattack. Um, Crystal Palace and Brentford the same, both countering teams. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick a stick a leg out here. I think I think Brentford gets this one done. I think uh, Palace will dominate the possession, which will hinder their ability to find the back of the net. And I think Brentford come out of this one as one no winners. Um, I like going off what Justin said here. I like Crystal Palace in this one. I think they'll win this one. I got Crystal Palace two one. So, moving on to the next game, game three of match week five. Uh, you got Chelsea traveling to Southampton. Fellas, what are your thoughts on that game? I'm going to go with Chelsea. I think their their class just overshadows Southampton's uh, youth. Yeah, I couldn't agree, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Koulibaly back in the side. Um, and and uh, Chelsea get the business done at St. Mary's. Uh, Chelsea for the three points on this one. Yep, I got Chelsea three-pointers as well. I think they'll overwhelm Southampton in that one. Next game, we're moving on to Everton, where Everton travels to Leeds. Thoughts on that game, fellas? Well, we all know how Leeds like to score, and if Everton keeps playing like they're playing, it could they could be in a rough patch today. I mean, granted, Leeds didn't have the best performance this past weekend, but... <clears throat> I think they get it done uh, at home, two nothing. Wow. Okay. Jack uh, uh, Everton, hopefully debuting uh, Neil Mope or at least in number nine, uh, allow us to maybe get out from the back a little bit better. Um, I think uh, the absence of Ben Godfrey with a broken leg, Gary Mina with a t- with a messed up Achilles, and and Mason Holgate with a knee injury really hinders us at the back line. I'd love. I'd love a change of formation for Frank Lampard. I don't think he'd do it. I think he's going to stick in his own right, in his own way. Um, and, and I think he's going to stay with what he knows best. 
I'm going with a draw on this one, just because I can't vote against Everton. But yeah, yeah, it's it's probably gonna be a draw. I'm just gonna stick with that. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be a draw as well. Like with Jad, I think the front. I think we're gonna see for the first time uh, the front three of Neil Mope, Anthony Gordon, and uh, Demari Gray up top for Everton. So I'm pretty excited to see that. I can see a one-one draw happening here. We'll move on to the next game of match week five, uh, where Villa travels to Arsenal. Jack, thoughts? Yeah, Villa coming into Arsenal. Uh, this Villa team are in shaky form. Loss, win, loss, win, loss. Uh, really not finding it together. I don't think they can get it done. I think Arsenal. I think Arsenal cruise to a three-one victory in this one. Justin. Yeah, I think Arsenal's pretty dominant in this one. Um, like we said, Gerard's on the hot seat. I don't think he has the tactics to keep up with right now a very hot Arsenal squad. Arsenal, 2 nothing. Um, Yeah, I would like to see a clean sheet here, which it could happen. But even if we do give up a goal, I think the crowd will be there to lift us right back up, and it won't bother us one bit. I see Arsenal winning this one, hopefully 3-0, 3-1. We'll move on to the next game where Nottingham Forest travel to Man City. Justin, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, hopefully our center backs come to play in this one as we've seen Nottingham Forest able to get in cross after cross after cross. But with that being said, I feel like you got to say City's going to win. I'm going to go 3-1. Jack? Yeah, City all day on this one. At least at least three goals. Um, three points for City. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with y'all. I think City's definitely going to get the three points here. I would love to see Nottingham Forest come out and do a little something with this young squad they have, but I think Man City would just be too much for them. Easy win for Man City overall, three points for them. We'll move right along to the next game where Wolves travel to Bournemouth. Jack, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, this will be a Wolves win. Overall, in the game they just played, I thought they were really well against Newcastle. Uh, I think they may have deserved more than one point. Um, Newcastle were, were decent, but they finally found the back of the net to tie at 1-1. But Bournemouth, just, again, a team that, that we all have a lock for going down. I'd bet my uh, my life savings on Bournemouth going down. And I, I don't think they can get anything done against Wolves. I, I got a three points for Wolves here. Justin? Yeah, I got Wolves winning. We all know how hard it is to score against Jose Saw at the back in this Wolves team, and Brentford's just struggling, really struggling right now. So hopefully Wolves can find the back of the net. Um, I see it being a typical Wolves win, one nothing. Yeah, I see Wolves dominating this game. I would almost put my uh, life savings on Bournemouth finishing 20th this year, fellas. That's how confident I am they're going down. But, yeah, Wolves dominate this game. Uh, I see maybe a 2-0 win for Wolves today, even though they're uh, away. We'll move right along to the next game where Tottenham travel to London to face West Ham. Thoughts on this game? Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not going too far as Tottenham are also in London. But, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I've, got, I've got a decent game here. I think this will be a, a – um, a pretty good matchup between the two teams. West Ham are in poor form, but they finally are off the mark with a, a, a 1-0 win at Aston Villa at Villa Park. I just I, – I think this Tottenham team are, are forced to be reckoned with. They don't do it in style. They don't do it overwhelmingly with lots of goals. But they get the job done here, and I, I think this is a uh, – I think this is a win for Tottenham. Justin? Yeah, with how West Ham's struggling to score – 
I mean, they scored their first goal in four weeks this this past game. I see Spurs winning it pretty easily with the form that they're in. Two nothing. Yeah, with West Ham getting their first um, goal of the season in the last game, I don't see too much of them that happened in this game. I think Tottenham will take it easily with uh, three points for them here. But not sure where Tottenham's located in London, Jack, because I know uh, North London's red. So we'll move right along to the next game where uh, <laughs> Newcastle take on Liverpool. Thoughts on that game, Justin? I think Liverpool come out hot still from this nine-goal win at Bournemouth. I think they win, but they obviously don't score as much. Two nothing Liverpool. Jack. Yeah. Uh, after that display from from Liverpool, I don't know that you can you can bet against them at this point. I I, I think we're going to go with uh with the Liverpool for the three points here. Yeah, I think uh, Liverpool will ride their uh, nine goal wave into another win here. Hopefully, they used up all their goals um, this week, but. We can only hope on that one. I think Liverpool get three points. We'll move right along to the last game of match week five here where Manchester United travel to Leicester City. Jack, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, Manchester United, uh, Leicester City. This is this is a, an interesting battle. You got Leicester City and a bit of a rough patch. Uh, finally have the final ordeal settled. Um, but uh, they'll, they'll welcome in a, a hot Manchester United team off the back of two wins and a really rejuvenized Manchester United team. You know, Varane and Lissandra Martinez versus Vardy, that's an interesting matchup. But I just I, – I don't think – I don't think Leicester have the firepower and the quality in this one. I, I really think uh, Manchester United are, are going to take this one. I think this is three points for Manchester United. Justin? Yeah, I agree with Jack that Veron Martinez partnership is coming along very nicely in the past couple of weeks. And Vardy, he's starting to get older. Starting, I mean, he's still got pace. Don't get me wrong, but he's starting to lose some of that. Got to go with United. I'm gonna say two one. I think Leicester still find one in this one, but like you said, they just don't have the firepower. It seems. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here, fellas, and I think uh, Lester tied this one up. I think Lester get a little nice 1-1 draw here from Vardy. Um, I do like that partnership in the back by Martinez and Varane, but makes you want to think, what, where does that leave McGuire? We'll have to think on that one, and we'll let Jack sign us off. Yeah, guys, if you made it to this point of the uh, podcast, we, we greatly appreciate it again. Uh, this is our third episode, uh, and, and we've thoroughly enjoyed bringing this to you. We've got a busy week coming up of, of this, this match week that we just covered. We'll see you back again on Friday. If you're here and you haven't yet, press that follow button. Leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, anything you want to add, any any suggestions for us, you can email us. This tackling the Premier League at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. We really, really appreciate you guys. And and as always, cheers. Cheers, y'all. Thanks for listening. See you next time.